Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to share a few words as part of this series and to the joy of being a part of this community here in Downers Grove. I'm Bill Scheel. As Eric said, I serve as the president of Northern Seminary, which is just around the corner from you, where we teach and train people who have discovered that God is calling them to serve in the church. And oftentimes, it's folks like you around age 39 or so, uh, that's our average age, uh, where they have been serving and working and decide that they want to give their lives in an ongoing way to the service of the, of the Christian community and in the church, whether it's on the west side in Lawndale, the south side in Inglewood, or now 35 states and seven countries around the world as pastors and church leaders. One of our uh, proud alumni is Eric Campfield, so we are so grateful for him and his work and ministry. So it's a, I get the great privilege of saying we're just trying to train people like Eric. So thank you, Eric, for, for the chance to be here. <laughs> well, thanks for the chance to share. I, I, Kelly and I, I have the joy of being a part of this community with Parker and Drake and uh, to be a part of this wonderful new expression of, of the movement of Christ Church here in Downers Grove. And as I thought about this topic, I was reflecting a... Um, last spring on something that happened at my house. And as I was sitting in my living room, um, I was just, you know, minding my own business, watching television, and I heard this thump, you know, over and over again. I thought, that's sort of odd. But I thought someone was knocking at the door, but our, you know, our indoor doorbell buster, our dog, did not move. He did not get up. You know, and, and I just kept hearing this, and it, then it got louder and louder and louder. So I got up to the door. There was no one there. I walked around the house. There was no one at the back, back door, and so I thought nothing of it until I went to bed that night, and just about, you know, 11 o'clock, 11.30, I hear this. I said, Kelly, do you hear this? this? She said, yeah, I hear the same thing. Go down to the front, nobody's there, everybody's in the house, no problem, and on and on. Middle of the night, I wake up, I hear this. Okay, this has got to be someone, something, something in the, in the roof of the house. It's, you know, I've had a skunk problem, if you know that story. It can't be the skunks, you know. Uh, so, so the next morning, I, I got up and I started walking around the house, having to be a Saturday, and I looked outside, right outside our garage, and there was a bird banging its beak against the window of my garage over and over. Again, now, this is not a big bird, but he had a big beak. It was a big beak bird, you know? <laughs> and I stood there, and I watched this bird doggedly determined to fly through the window and not backing off. I mean, you know? And I stood there, and I thought, what is this bird doing? And then it hit me. Two springs ago, when we had first moved into our home, I was not a very attentive homeowner, and I remember I'm not a very attentive owner, a homeowner now, but especially then, and I made the mistake of leaving my garage door open that spring. And I remember, flashback, that a bird had come in and built its nest in my garage. And being the nice guy that I was, I kept leaving the garage door open. I wasn't really thinking about what the, you know, future repercussions would be. And, and that bird laid 
laid, it, laid its eggs, and then the birds hatched, and at some point or another, they flew away. And I never thought anything about it until last spring when one of those birds decided to fly back and to come back to lay her eggs where she started, right? Because birds have this internal homing device that they've got to come back home, right? And she was banging on the window trying to come back to lay her eggs again. Now, I would like to tell you that I was a nice homeowner again and let the bird in. I did not. But I haven't forgotten about that bird, okay? Because I'll be honest with you. Over the past couple of years, there have been many times in my life where that bird has really been a mirror image of my life. I don't know about you. But there have been plenty of times, at least over the last year, where I felt like I was supposed to be going in this direction, I'm just trying to get back where I started, and all I'm doing is banging my beak against the window, doggedly determined to do things my way. But what I really needed was someone not like me, right? What I really need in my life is a God, right? Who in Jesus Christ, when we finally arise and come to Him, as we sang early, earlier, He opens the door and embraces us with His arms, which is exactly what we're talking about this morning and all throughout this series, that you and I really do have a purpose, and that purpose starts because God is already there waiting to welcome us home. That whether we have lived our lives like that bird just trying to get back home or whether we have stumbled in this morning still seeking what we haven't quite found yet, this is a place for you today. And we're going to be talking all throughout this next six weeks about the very questions that all of us bring to life. In fact, Elie Wiesel once said that humanity raises itself to God by the questions we ask. And the question we ask today is the question we've all asked. Why am I here? What is my purpose? And the Bible gives us an answer to that. So let's turn, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 6, all right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, or if you want to find this on your phone, okay? Matthew 6, 22 through 34. And as Eric mentioned, over the next few, day, few weeks, we're going to be talking about the basic questions of life, but they're also designed to, to encourage you and, and to say, you know, even if I'm a believer, it's okay to still be wondering, right? And by chance, if you have a few skeptics in your life that you say, you know, we're wrestling with these questions too at our church, we'd love to invite you to come and talk with us about these. This is a safe place to raise those questions, to ask the hard questions, and then to find a community to stretch you and help you to grow as well. Because at some point or another in our lives, whether we are 7 or 17 or 77, we begin to say, you know, why, why did I get this family and not that family, right? Why was I born in DuPage County and not Des Moines, Iowa, right? Why th this set of friends or this set of problems or this set of issues in my life? What is the deeper meaning to all of this? And the wonderfully interesting thing that the, that the Bible tells us is we begin to discover our purpose in life when we first focus 
on the Lord. Now let's listen carefully to what Jesus has to say about this in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 22. Because he says purpose really begins with focus. Listen to this interesting verse. He says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Which we pause there just for a minute. And Jesus is basically making this simple claim. And by the way, this is the centerpiece of his great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where he says basically focus is everything. If you're focused on the good things, everything else comes into view. If you're focused on the wrong things, you're never going to be able to figure that out, all right? In fact, he backs that up with this, with this statement in verse 24, this basic statement of life. He says, no one can serve two masters, all right? You can really only be devoted to one thing. You can't try to run around and do everything at once. He says, for either a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. He's also parenthetically saying you can't serve God and your job, God and your family, God and your friends, God and your phone, God and your career. I mean, you know, you can't serve God plus, all right? Therefore, he says, what are we going to do about all that? All right, he says, therefore, I'm going to tell you, don't worry about your life, all right? What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. In fact, he says, is not life more important than food and your body more important than clothes? Look at, he says, the birds of the air. They do not toil or reap or sow or gather into barns, and yet I tell you, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his or her life? And why do you worry about what you were going to wear today on the coldest day of the year, right? Why do you worry about clothes? Now consider, he says, the lilies of the field. They do not toil or spin, and yet I tell you, Solomon in all his glory was not clothed, says one of these. If that is how God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more help you figure out what you're going to wear on Sunday morning, O oh, you of your little faith? Therefore, he says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For it is the Gentiles, the pagans, that's the real word in Greek, who strive for all these things instead. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all them. Strive first, he says, for the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, let's pause there just for a minute, because embedded in this powerful text here that is our theme text for the day is really what I want to propose to you is our purpose, that here on this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, what a wonderful day to be thinking about purpose, a man who was singularly focused on God and changed how we relate to each other because of that purpose. What a great example for us. Well, what about us this weekend? And I want to propose to you what would be our purpose, right? And our purpose is simply this. Let's look at it on the slide. You and every person on earth 
were created to love, know, and love God personally and to be a part of Christ's church. I want you to just, there's a little audience interaction here, just to make sure you're, you're still with me here. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, wake up your neighbor, punch him. You have a purpose. All right. Now, now turn and say to your other neighbor, other neighbor, you have a purpose. All right. Now, I want to propose to you that both of your neighbors and you were created to know and love God personally, and you were called to be a part of Christ's church, that right now you are called to be a part of this community. Now, how do we know that of all the things in life that you could have been a part of, that somehow for every person on earth that this, of all things, would be your purpose. Well, interestingly enough, Jesus tells us that it really starts with a problem, right? That deep down inside all of us, we know that there is a problem in this world, and that problem happens to us. That we have the same problem that the world has. In fact, oftentimes we experience it even after we become followers of Jesus Christ. It's what he calls an eye problem, and an I problem. Our problem is focus and loyalty. And, and, you know, since we don't go to the doctor for this, okay, we might go to our therapist for this, but we usually don't show up at the doctor's office and ask about this. No, the symptoms sort of emerge in the middle of the night, says Jesus. It's what he says are the marimno problems. We don't even have an English word for this, so we're just going to all learn a Greek word together. It's marimno. It's anxiety-causing insomnia. Now, I will not ask for a show of hands of how many of you have ever waken up in the middle of the night worried. Or... If you have not been able to fall asleep... Oh, I've already seen a hand go up in the back. Thank you for that. I got a witness. Some of you put up a finger wondering if it's okay to say yes, that's true, all right? You may have not been able to just fall asleep because over and over and over in your mind you are thinking about your worries. That's a special kind of worry. It's a spiritual symptom. It's a diagnosis of a deep problem that all of us have. In fact, if you ever lay awake at night worried or you can't fall asleep worried, that should be a sign to you right there that God really loves you, right? Really? because he's sending you an alert system to turn to him. Because the anxiety-inducing insomnia usually falls into at least one of three categories, clothes, food, money, and who you're hanging out with, what you drink, right? So that's four. I said three, that's four, okay? You lay awake at night wondering why your Christmas card doesn't quite match up to everybody else's you read this year. That the life you thought you were going to be living is not exactly the way you thought it was going to be. That what you heard from your grandkids on the other end of that text message just doesn't sound right back where your grandkids live. That you've looked at the credit card statement now at the end of 
uh, in January after everything you spent in December, and you said to yourself, this time last year we weren't going to do that again. Marimno. Because Jesus says, I know. It taps on the window of our lives. It's an eye problem and an eye problem. It's a focus issue, right? The reason we don't know what our purpose is is because purpose doesn't come from trying out all these things that we're looking for. It actually comes by a singular focus on God. It's the complete reverse of everything we've been talking about. We've been taught in our lives that somehow if we go to school and we try all these things out and we go to Starbucks and we test out this coffee and this kind of brand and then we'll figure out what we want. And we think that's the way it works in life. And actually, Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way with God. You, you just focus on God first. And the other problem is the reason we can't focus on God is because we've got an I problem. We've got a me problem, right? We are deeply worried about trying to stay in charge of things we were never in control of anyway. I'll be the first to admit I have been the bird trying to get back through that window. And if I just keep trying hard enough, something's going to happen. And even Albert Einstein said that was insanity doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Why? Because we have an eye problem. We have been trained and conditioned by our world to think that life really is about me, and I really think that if I can just fix and control that everything in my responsibility, my family, my job, my career, the work I do, even what I do for the church, if I can just stay awake longer at night, I can make another one of those, what do we call them? to-do lists, right? And if I just do a little bit more, everything's going to be fine. Oh. And Jesus says, so, are you done banging against the window? Because he says, I've got a different purpose for you. And he said, he says, if you want to get off the eye problem and the eye problem you have, would you just take a look at two things that I take care of every day and they are not worried at all? In fact, they are more vulnerable than you. They uh, have many more problems than you would ever experience because of what's going on in our world and they have yet to worry at all what's going to happen in their lives. And Jesus directs our attention in this passage to two forces of nature. And by the way, if you're the kind of person that is a little skeptical about faith and you wonder, okay, I think science has all the answers. Okay, Jesus says, I'll take you up on that. Look at the natural world. I'll show you. Okay? You like what science has to say about, about uh, how the world is ordered? Okay, right. Look at two things, birds and weeds. Look, he says, at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, which, by the way, if you've ever been to Israel, you will know that lilies are like weeds, okay? They're everywhere, okay? You can't get rid of them. They're like in the south, kudzu lilies, okay? So he says, I want you to look at two forces of nature right out of the science handbook, birds and weeds. And you will notice something about birds, that 
inside they have this homing device that they are migrating and moving and taking care of things, and I've got it. And in fact, they are fed and they are clothed and they don't even have a savings account. They have no 401k. They did not watch the Dow go down on December 24th and come back on January 4th. They did not care one bit. And I'm telling you, I'm going to feed them. And he says, if, if that doesn't convince you, look at the weeds, okay, the lilies. And he said, if you just look at the intricate design of things that you mow over after the snow melts, you will discover that not even Solomon could figure out what to wear compared to what lilies embody. Okay. I learned this in my own life by paying attention to, to monarch butterflies and milkweed. When I lived in Tallahassee, I encountered the migratory path of the monarch butterfly. By the way, Chicago is also on the same path as Tallahassee is on. And if you want to learn more about this, go to the Field Museum. But monarch butterflies are incredible forces of nature because they travel along a migratory path eating a weed called milkweed. And according to scientists, they lay their eggs along the pathway, migrating from, from places like Tallahassee in March north to places like Chicago in June. And then by the time October, November comes around, they start a long journey back down south to Mexico where they winter. Now, I will tell you, no one monarch makes the entire journey alone. In fact, no monarch ever survives the full journey. In fact, it takes four generations of monarchs to make the circular path. What do I mean by that? As monarchs go along the migratory path, they lay eggs for each other so that one generation will hatch as the next generation dies off, and they make the circular path from Tallahassee to Chicago, north to Canada, and then back down to Mexico, and over and over again goes the circle of life. And if you know anything about monarchs, you know this whole migratory path is incredibly endangered right now. But you know what? As far as I can tell, the monarchs are not worried. Right? Really. They're just doing their thing. Because internally, they know that this is what they've got to do. No matter what happens in our world, they're going to keep going and going, and they've got the courage to be on the adventure of this incredible path. Now, let me ask you something, Jesus says. If you think I've designed the world for birds that build nests in your garage and monarch butterflies and weeds, don't you think I care very much about what you're going to eat today. And that's why he gives us the purpose. You see, the reason that we can't start off in life by trying to figure out what we want to do with our lives is because it leads us all over the place in this literal act of chaos, right? that we've got an eye problem, a focus plan, a problem, and a loyalty problem, that it sends our lives into disarray. But God's plan for us is that we would, first of all, trust, 
right? That we would actually trust God the way these vulnerable birds and monarchs and milkweed trust in the same God of the universe that invites our trust as well. Isn't that amazing? That the path to God's plan is actually trust in Him. That we come back and say, Lord, I recognize that you really do have a purpose. And by the way, today, if you might be the kind of person who carries with them all kinds of regrets about the plans they made before and wonder if, it could, if you could ever get back on the path, the answer to that is yes. That's the amazing thing about God's purpose for you is that he actually builds into the system a redirect, right? That when we wander off the path, part of his providence is that we get a chance to restart and come back simply through the act of trust, that focusing on him is the first way. The second thing he says then to us is to recognize our value in God's eyes. As I said earlier, if you think God cares so much about birds and, and, and monarchs, imagine how, much, how madly he is in love with you. Because what we recognize is that our lives are so valuable that God has placed on you his image. Like you are representing to the world what God looks like. God doesn't need statues because he created you. You know, we, he doesn't need idols. He's got you. Okay? And what happens is when we begin to recognize the value that God has in us, do you know what changes? We begin to see the value of other people in God's eyes. We begin to see the image of God placed on you because we recognize their value in God's eyes, which is the same way he values us. He is our creator. You are good. That still, no matter how far you have fallen, you are still good in his eyes. That when we recognize the goodness in one another, then we begin to say, okay, now I am ready then to surrender my control of my worries. Because I trust that by focusing on him, the plan that God has probably won't be the plans I had for what I've been worrying about. But man, I am really ready to trust now. That when I get woken up in the middle of the night, that I'm ready to keep turning over and surrendering over and over and over again all the worries about money, clothes, food, possessions, security, that yes, those things are going to come our way. Yes, it is normal for us to wake up in the middle of the night, but that's just God's alert system to say, all right, just keep, keep surrendering, keep surrendering, keep focused on me, keep continuing to say, yes, the first commandment is actually the first purpose of our lives you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. The commandment to have no other gods before me, to be completely loyal to me, is actually our purpose. Isn't that amazing? That the commands are an act of mercy. I'm going to just put you right back on the path again. That when we trust God the way that the birds and the, and the weeds do, that when we recognize how valuable we are to God and to each other, we surrender control of our lives and all those worries to Him and say, God, I'm going to turn it right back over to you, and by the way, I'm going to turn over what I thought was going to happen back to you. 
And then I'm ready to do what Jesus says. I'm going to strive first. I'm going to seek first God's reign on earth as it is in heaven in everything we do. We prayed it earlier that we're going to see with a singular focus, Lord, because the birds can do this and the weeds can do this and the monarchs can, can seek you, I'm going to seek you too in every aspect of my life. Now, I need to warn you about something because this is part of the deception of our world, so I've got to be really clear, especially if you're coming today and you're wondering, okay, what's he talking about? Seeking first God's reign on earth does not mean that you are going to get a wonderful 401k, okay? You are not going to suddenly get the best parking place in the Walmart parking lot or Jewel Osco. Okay, that's not that. You are not going to have a perfect bill of health from the doctor. And by the way, if anyone is telling you that, that's not Jesus, okay? Now, you might say, well, does the Lord give, give us good health? Yes, right? Is that a blessing? Yes. But the size of your lake house is not a, si a sign of how much God loves you, okay? Because if you flip that around, poor people in India who are living in the slums are not loved any less by God, okay? So what does that mean? All of that means is it's yet another act of grace and mercy on you that sends us back to refocusing on, okay, Lord, I need to real if, if I've been blessed materially, that means I really got to work on my, how I'm seeking God, okay? And all of us have been, let's be honest, okay? So what that does mean, though, and this is what Dallas Willard says, seeking first the kingdom of God doesn't mean you get everything you want, but it does mean you get what God wants you to have. And God wants you to have everything you need. Okay? The amazing thing is we begin to receive what God always wanted us to have. <laughs> he wanted us to be at peace. He wanted us to be with, live with joy. He wanted us to live fully satisfied with the way life is that if nothing changed at all right now in your condition, that you would be fully content that God is madly in love with you and your family and your friends as you are right now. That nothing has to change because you are in the center of exactly where God wants you to be. And what He has done is invited you to be on this wonderful migratory journey of adventure with Him. That he's called you, like the birds and the monarchs and even the weeds, <laughs> to join him on a journey to lay, lay tracks for future generations to come beside you and around you. Look at you. You had this incredible adventure. Yeah, I'd come out here to Downers Grove and set up chairs and play in the band, and we'll see what happens a year later, right? You were brave to do this. And by doing this, you admitted even I don't have everything I'm looking for. Even I'm going to be beating my head against the window. But I'm going to trust that God is with me. So let me close with one story in my own life that I've witnessed. Last year, one of my preaching students shared a story with me that I really fit, think fits this whole theme that we're thinking about today. 
He's an African-American pastor on the west side of Chicago. And he retired from the Bolingbroke Police, uh, Police Department in order to become a pastor and then to come to seminary. And here on this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I, I think about this story as a perfect representation of what we're all trying to do to live into this beloved community that Dr. King called us to. And he was on the west side of Chicago, and, and he got a phone call that his mother was going into the hospital because of a blood clot in her lung. And his sister called him and said, would you meet me at the hospital and help me get her admitted, and then, um, and then and we can help get her admitted and deal with her problems. And so this was about like 1230 in the morning. So he drove down to the west side of Chicago, middle of the night, helped his sister get his mother, their mother admitted into the hospital. And then his sister said, why don't you follow me over here to McDonald's? I need to get something to eat. Okay, this is like 1 in the morning, right off the Eisenhower, right by Rush Medical Center Hospital. You know what part of town I'm talking about. It's 1 in the morning. This was, you know, sometime last year, uh, violence in Chicago had really spiked around this particular time of the year. And here he is, middle of the night. His sister has gone into McDonald's. And as she's driving away to go back home, he's sitting in the parking lot about to pull out. And he hears this tap on his window. And there's a very tall white man standing there, horn-rimmed glasses, looking into his window. Okay, one in the morning. He's a little startled. The guy said, roll down your window. And he said, could you give me directions to 55th and Lakeshore Drive? And he said, you mean from here to there? He said, yeah. So my, my friend, who's a pastor, said, sure, okay, so you get back on the Eisenhower, you go on to the Dan Ryan, and he said, and as he began to explain it to them, this man became just completely disoriented, confused, had no idea what he was saying. He said, are you okay? He goes, no, I'm totally confused. He said, I haven't been drinking, all right, but I have no idea what you're saying. I am completely lost in this darkness. And he said, I'll tell you what, do you live over there? Yes. Why don't you follow me, and when we get over to this part of the interstate, you will remember where you're supposed to go, and you can go back home. He said, okay, that's fine. So they got back on the Eisenhower, got onto the Dan Ryan, headed down south, and as they were getting to the exit at, uh, at Lakeshore Drive, the man kept following him. He pulled off the interstate at 63rd and Lakeshore Drive. The man was still following him. He pulled off to the side of the road. He went back to his window. He tapped on the window. He said, why are you still following me? He said, I'm still completely lost. Now it's about 2 in the morning. He says, I know I live over here somewhere, but I have no idea where I'm going. He said, well, what part of town do you live? He said, well, somewhere around Hyde Park. He said, all right, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we drive together? You follow me. And when we come to a familiar part of town, you flash your lights and you tell me if you're home yet or not. He would later learn, by the way, that this was a University of Chicago professor who had spent all night in the lab. Brilliant guy, but he's like the absent-minded professor. Had no idea what he was doing about how to get home. Okay. Well, they were driving through Hyde Park, you know, two guys, normal guys, middle of the night, trying to find their way home. And he said, it suddenly came through this, what looked like a forest. He pulled in through this driveway, and suddenly this bank of lights came on. And the guy flashed his lights at him. And he said, hey, this is where I live. He pulled into his parking lot, parking space, and he said, thanks. 
Now I remember. I'm home. And he looked at my friend and he said, you know what? You are God's angel to me tonight. And my friend said to him, no, I'm not an angel. But I do believe God sent me to you because he knew we needed to encourage one another. And then my friend was honest enough to say, hey, I have no idea where I am now. Could you give me directions back to the Dan Ryan so I could get back home? And sure enough, the absent-minded, nutty professor who was lost in the dark said, sure. And he gave him directions to lead him back home. Now here's the point, he said. This is what salvation is like. All of us have been given Christ's light to share in the darkness with someone else. And when we do, when we share with them their purpose, do you know what happens? <laughs> this is the amazing gift that those who've just received their purpose and their light in life share it right back with us and pass that light on to someone else. Now, I don't know what brought you here. I don't know maybe if you've been like me and my bird. But if by chance you've stumbled your way through the darkness to this place today with these people, we've got some light we want to give you because we've all been strangers too. And the one thing we've done is we've done as that old hymn has said. I, I learned this one when I was growing up as a child. Maybe you learned this one. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I want to sing that for you and invite you to join with me on the chorus. That this is my prayer for you today. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and if you know the chorus, would you sing it with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth bow with me for prayer this morning. Loving Heavenly Father, we have tapped on the door. And today, oh God, you have opened the door. You have invited us home by another way. Not to nest 
but to live on an adventure with you. You have called us all to be here. And today we pray for renewed focus. Or maybe for the first time to focus on you. To turn away from the other loyalties to money and fame and recognition and friends and all the other things that would distract and divide us. And turn solely to you. So that then you may give us what you have always wanted us to have. Which is exactly the abundant life you promised. Today, God, I pray for any person today. That they would come surrendering, leaving here in this place. Whatever enslaves them. And by your amazing grace, you would free them and liberate them to live into the purpose that you have for them. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name.